What do you think of when you hear the word power? Maybe you think of this, solar power or wind power. Maybe you think of nuclear power. Here's something I often think about, battery power or muscle power, flower power, political power, and financial power. Today we're going to look at a kind of power that is superior, vastly superior to all these different kinds of power. It's a power that brought the entire universe into existence, a power that holds the earth in its orbit, a power that puts presidents and politicians in office and removes them. It is a power that can heal diseases, conquer death, defeat evil, and completely change your life. Today we're going to look at the power of God. I'd like to begin this morning by focusing on some Bible verses that come from the New Testament book of Ephesians as we continue our series called We Are the Church. And we're going to look at verses in chapter 1. If you've got one of the brown Bibles that we provided for you, that's going to be on page 947. And I'd like to do this. I'd like to outline where we're going this morning by taking a look at some key questions. And these are on your outline. The first is this. What do we know about God's power. Secondly, how can we get God's power? The third thing is this, what does our church need to do that requires God's power? And then to make this personal, what do you need to do right now that requires God's power? Maybe this morning when I asked that question, have you ever come to church tired? The answer was not just yes, I've come to church tired in the past, but this morning I am just really tired. And maybe you're tired physically or emotionally or, or even spiritually. Maybe today you need God's power just to somehow keep going and not give up. Maybe today as you, you come to this place, you really need power because things are not good in your marriage. And you need to be able to work things out with your husband or your wife. Maybe today you're a mom or dad and there's struggles with your kids and you need God's power to be patient. Maybe this morning there's a an addiction you're, you're battling and you need God's power. Maybe it's a physical problem and you want God to heal you. Maybe, maybe you've just got an annoying neighbor and you need God's power to, to work things out with that neighbor. There are all kinds of reasons that we need God's power. And here in this first chapter of Ephesians, we learn about this power that God wants to share with us. So let's take a look at this passage, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. The Apostle Paul who wrote this says, I pray, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And note this, his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then Paul goes on to describe this power. He says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything, notice this, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. 
Let's begin with this first question. What do we know about God's power? And here's why this is so very important. Would you look at the card that's in your program this morning? It has the verse of the week. It says this, His divine power, God's divine power, has given us, what is the next word? Can you tell me? Everything. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So if you want God's power in your life, it comes through knowledge of God and knowledge of his power. So that's our starting point this morning. What do we know about God's power? Well, when Jesus comes to our world, we get a front row seat when it comes to observing God's power. One of my favorite stories is a time that Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and they're in a fishing boat and a huge storm comes up. Some of you know this story. And the disciples are terrified. They start to bail water as fast as they can, but it's a losing proposition. And so where do they find Jesus? What is he doing? Yeah, he's asleep in the back of the boat. So they wake him up and they say, Lord, do something. We're going to drown. And this is a fascinating response on the part of Jesus. He, he wakes up and he speaks to the wind and to the waves. Now, in some translations, Jesus says two words, be still. One way you could translate the Greek language there is this way, shut up. I can imagine Jesus needing his sleep. And he speaks to the wind and the waves and he tells them to shut up, be still, stop. And what happens? They obey him. Now, can you imagine being one of the disciples and, and seeing this happen? I mean, the first thought in your mind is, who is this man that we've been following? And here's the answer. This is Jesus Christ. This is God come in the flesh, and he is exercising power over the very world he made. And of course, as you look at the ministry of Jesus, you see him display the power of God in all kinds of ways. He opens the eyes of the blind. He heals the cripple. He even raises his friend Lazarus to life. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Jesus has the power to complete the mission that God has given him, to lay down his life for us. So what do we know about the power of God? Simply this, look at your, your outline. God has unlimited power. God is omnipotent. And here's a verse in the Old Testament that points this out as well. It says, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Is there anything in your life that's too hard for you right now? Man, there is for me. And isn't it encouraging to know that nothing, absolutely nothing, is too hard for God? Now, here's something else we need to know about God's power. God's power creates spiritual life within a believer. God's Power creates spiritual life within a believer. When I was a, a firefighter and a paramedic, I went on thousands and thousands of rescue calls during those years. And generally speaking, there are two kinds of patients that we encountered, those who were alive and those who were not. Now, imagine two different scenes. The first is, Let's say we get a call for someone who has chest pain, and so we arrive at the house, and we go into the bedroom, and here's this man who's um, you know, having shortness of breath and chest pain, and he's alert and conscious, and we determine that he needs to go to the emergency room, so we take our stretcher, put it next to the bed, and say, hey, sir, can you just kind of scoot over onto the stretcher, and we'll take you to the hospital, and he does. Now, contrast that with this scene. You get to the house, same call, guy had chest pain, you get to the bedroom, 
but you discovered that this patient is unconscious. In fact, his heart has stopped beating and he's no longer breathing. Now, can you imagine taking the stretcher, rolling it next to the bed and shaking this guy and say, hey, sir, would you please get on the stretcher? Because if you do, we'll be glad to take you to the hospital so you can get some help. D does that sound absurd to you? Well, of course, why? Because dead people can't help themselves. They need somebody else to take the initiative and do something. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter to the Christians in Ephesus, he talks about the fact that we come into this world physically alive, but spiritually dead. And Jesus addressed this because he said this, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born what? Again. You have to have a spiritual birth, a spiritual life that comes through the power of God. And if you're a Christian this morning, it's because of the power of God. You see, it's the power of God that enables us to believe the truth about ourselves. We call it the bad news because we're all in the same boat, aren't we? We've all broken God's laws. The Bible calls that sin. Our sin separates us from a holy God. And because God is just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And that just punishment is to die and to continue being separated from God and everything good for eternity. That's some pretty bad news, isn't it? If you believe that bad news, it's because God enabled you to believe. He gave you a spiritual power to acknowledge that you needed a Savior. And we believe the bad news because of his power, and we embrace the good news because of his power. Because the good news is about the story of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, leaving his home in heaven and coming to this world and becoming one of us. And he lives a perfect life and allows himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. And on the cross, an amazing thing takes place. God the Father is willing to take our sin and put it on Jesus and punish him in our place. And Jesus dies. But what makes it possible for Jesus to rise from the dead? It's the power of God, is it not? The power of God raises Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I want to give you a new life. And this new life is a life of power when you trust Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way. This is in Romans chapter 1. He says this. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation, the complete rescue of everyone who believes in Let me ask you this. Is salvation, the fact that God rescues us, is that an act or a process? And here's the answer. It's both. It's both. When you believe in Jesus Christ, God declares you righteous. That's called justification. Your record of sin is wiped out. And God adopts you into his family. Now, does God say at that point, hey, welcome to my family. I'm so glad that you're my son or, or my daughter. Um, from now on, you're on your own. Good luck. God doesn't do that, does he? No, he continues to give us his power to change us from the inside out. That process is called sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. But that requires the power of God. And that brings us to this next thing we need to know about God's power. God's power, God gives us his power to accomplish his purpose. God gives us his power to accomplish his purpose. After Jesus rose from the dead, he called his disciples together and he said, listen, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to give you some serious power. Now, can you imagine some of the conversations the disciples might have had? And of course, this is completely 
speculation and hypothetical. But can you imagine Peter saying, whoa, I'm going to get some really, really exceptional power. Maybe what I should do is this. I could open a chain of fishing stores called Peter's Fishing Depot, you know, all along the shore of, you know, the Sea of Galilee. And man, I will be so rich. Or can you imagine one of the disciples saying, you know what I'm going to do with that power? I'm going to write a book. It's going to be called My Life with Jesus, What Really Happened. And I know it's going to be a runaway bestseller on the Jerusalem Times bestsellers list. I'm going to be so rich. Man, that power is going to pay off. Or another that says, you know what? I'm not sure what to do with that power, but I've got this brother-in-law. Did I tell you what he did to me? I'm going to get even with him now that I have this power. Of course, none of those things took place. Because Jesus was so clear about the purpose of this power. Look at this verse from Acts chapter 1. He says to his disciples when they're gathered together, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And church, here in this verse is a critically important principle for us. And it's simply this, that God's power is given to God's people to accomplish God's purpose, not ours. Now, do you realize that? God's power is given to God's people to accomplish God's purpose, not ours. And let me be very practical here. Let's say that you're a guy and, and you're working you know, 16 hours a day. And you know that you really shouldn't be working that much because it's having a negative impact on your family and on your health. But you're just trying to push through and you say, God, give me the power to keep working like this. Is God obligated to give you the power to do that? Well, no, because clearly that's not God's purpose for your life. But what about this? What if you're someone who's been deeply hurt by another person and you're trying to forgive them and it's really, really hard? What if you go to God and say, God, I need the power, your power to forgive this person. Do you think God would want to give you his power to do that? Well, of course, because God has commanded us to forgive and God wants to give us his power to obey his commands. If you're somebody battling an addiction, do you think God wants you to come to him and ask for his power? Of course he does. Because God's power is given to accomplish God's purpose. And take a look again. This is our verse of the week. We looked at it just a moment ago. It's on the card. It says this, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, so far, we've seen some very important things about God's power. God is all-powerful. God's power creates spiritual life. God's power is given to accomplish God's purpose. And that brings us to the second question, how can we get God's power? How can we get God's power? How many of you this morning need God's power in your life? Yeah, we all do, don't we? For one reason or another. I was thinking about a story that I, I heard about this little boy and he was out in the backyard. He had this sandbox. And there was a big rock in the corner of the sandbox. And he really wanted to get that rock out. So he went to the garage and he got a hammer. And he started hitting this rock and it wouldn't budge. And the whole time his dad is watching from inside the house. And then he goes to the garage and he gets a shovel. He tries to dig it out and pry it out and that doesn't work. Then he starts to kick the rock and pull on it. And he gets really frustrated. He storms into the house and says to his dad, I'm just, I'm so mad. His dad says, why? He says, because I've got this huge rock in my sandbox and I can't get it out and I have tried everything. And his father said, well, son, 
Have you really tried everything? Have you asked me to help you? You know, there are times when I'm trying to get a rock out of my sandbox and instead of coming to God first, I'm hitting it with a hammer, trying to dig it out with a shovel and then it dawns on me, hey, why don't you ask God to help you? And that's really what begins this process of connecting with God's power. The first thing we have to do to experience God's power in our lives is this. We have to admit our weakness. We have to admit our weakness. We're studying this New Testament book of Ephesians, and it was written by Paul. And Paul was somebody who had a lot of experience with God's power, not just in his life, but in the lives of other people. And God allowed Paul to have this experience where Paul was given a glimpse of heaven. And Paul said, you know, I saw things that I can't even tell anybody about. And Paul explains, he writes to these believers in, in the city of Corinth. He says, you know, because of this experience that I had and the things that God showed me, I was given a thorn in the flesh to keep me from being proud. Now, that phrase, thorn in the flesh, is a very significant one. A lot of people have speculated what Paul's problem might have been. Some people think that he had migraine headaches, that he had something wrong with his eyesight. Others think he had some kind of um, gastrointestinal problem like Crohn's disease. But we do know this, whatever it was, it was really serious because Paul said that it tormented him and that he pleaded with God three times to take it away. So what was God's response to Paul? Paul tells us, but he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And how does Paul respond? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know, one of the paradoxes of the Christian life is that in order to experience God's power, we have to be willing to admit our own weakness. Some of you are familiar with the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And step number one is this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And step number two is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Friends, that power is not some nebulous force. That power is the power of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning... Some of you relate to what Paul said there about having a, a thorn in the flesh because you've got one too. Let me ask you this. Could God take it away in an instant? Does he have the power to heal in an instant? We know that he does. Does God have the power to enable you to deal with it in a way that honors him if he chooses not to heal you? Yes, he does. And we've talked about this before. You know, sometimes God heals us miraculously. Sometimes God heals physical conditions through the skill and expertise of the medical community. Sometimes God allows us to continue to deal with medical issues. Sometimes he does this. He takes us home in order to heal us. But whatever our situation might be, God wants us to trust him to give us the power to deal with whatever he allows to come into our lives. So how do you experience the power of God? First of all, admit your weakness. Secondly, ask for God's power in order to accomplish God's purpose. Here's a story that I've shared with you in the past, but this is a classic story 
when it comes to the power of prayer. Listen, there was a small Kentucky town that had two churches and one whiskey distillery. Members of both churches complained that the distillery gave the community a bad image. On top of this, the owner was an atheist. They tried to shut down the place but were unsuccessful. At last, they decided to hold a joint Saturday night prayer meeting and ask God to intervene. Well, Saturday night came and all through the prayer meeting, a terrible electrical storm raged. To the delight of the church members, lightning struck the distillery and burned it to the ground. The next morning, the sermons in both churches were on the power of prayer. Fire insurance adjusters promptly notified the distillery owner that they would not pay for the damages. They said the fire was caused by an act of God and that was not covered in his policy. Upon hearing this, the distillery owner decided that he was going to sue all of the church members claiming that they had conspired with God to destroy his business. The trial judge observed, I find one thing about this case very perplexing. We have a situation where the plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief in the power of prayer and the defendants, the church members, are denying the power of prayer. Sometimes by our actions, we too deny the power of prayer. Because the simple truth is this. The degree to which you are depending on God is the degree to which you are praying to God. And here's what I want you to see. You know, it's great that God invites us to come to Him and ask for His power. But do you realize that you can go to God and pray that other people that you love, that you care about, that those people will experience God's power too? One of the things that I really appreciate as I read the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote is how often he prays for other people. And this is a prayer. This is in chapter 3, verse 16. And he's praying for the believers in Ephesus. And he says, As I pray, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I was working on the message this week and I, I read that and I thought, you know, I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to pray this for my wife. There is power when we pray scripture for people in our families. And so I pray this, dear God, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen Chris with power through your spirit in her inner being. And then I thought, you know, I should pray this for my kids and my grandkids and for other people that God has brought into my life. And that was so encouraging to be able to do that. And so church, I want to encourage you, pray for other people to know the power of God. Husbands, pray for your wives. Wives, pray for your husbands. Parents, pray for your kids. Pray for the people that God has brought into your life that they will know his power. So how do you get God's power in your life? First, admit your weakness, ask for God's power, and then do this, act in faith. You have to step out in faith because faith always expresses itself in action. This is a passage of scripture that may be familiar to many of you. It's from the book of Isaiah chapter 40. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And then the prophet Isaiah goes on and he says, even, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I recently watched a movie 
It's called Unbroken, and it tells the true story of Olympic athlete Louis Zamperini. After a nearly fatal plane crash, and this happened during World War II, he survived for an unbelievable 47 days on a raft with some of his crew members. And then they were captured by the Japanese Navy and sent to a prisoner of war camp. The key to his survival was the faith that was fostered by his older brother when he was just a child. Let's take a look at this clip from the movie. Faster. Why? No one's chasing me. I'm chasing you. can't do this, Pete. I'm not like you. I'm nothing. Just let me be nothing. What are you talking about? I can't make a track team. I don't even know why you yes, want you me can. to. Yes, you can. If you can take it, you can make it. What? If you can take it, you can make it. All right, you train, you fight way harder than those other guys, and you win. You get out from under them. Or you keep going the way you're going, and you end up as a bum in the streets. You could do this, Lou. Just gotta believe you can. I don't believe. I do. Come on. Andiamo. Forza! Va bene. so clear that faith connects us to the power of God. If we want to experience God's power, we have to do this, admit our weakness, ask God for his strength, and then step out in faith. 
And that brings us to this next question on your outline. What does BBCC need to do that requires God's power? The simple answer to that is if we want to complete the mission that Jesus has given us, we need God's power to do that. To reach seekers, to build believers, to help people who are far from God know that there is hope by giving their lives to Christ, to help people grow in that relationship. We need God's power to fulfill our mission as a church. And in the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing some exciting new plans for our church, opportunities that God's giving us to expand our ministry and to expand our influence. And church, these are big plans that require the power of a big God. And to make this personal, look at this last question on your outline. What do you need to do that requires God's power? Now just think about that for, for a moment. What do you need to do that requires God's power? Maybe today there's something you need to start doing. Maybe you need to start praying on a regular basis. Maybe you need to admit your weakness to God and to yourself this morning. Or maybe there's something you need to stop doing, but you need God's power to stop. Maybe you need God's power to stop complaining or criticizing. Maybe you need God's power to, to deal with a sexual temptation. And maybe today there's something you need to do to keep going, to keep trusting, to keep believing, to keep obeying God. What will enable us to do all of these things? Simply this, the power of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for these verses of Scripture that remind us that you're a God who is all-powerful. And Lord, we are so thankful that you want to share your power with us. And Father, I pray that you would enable us to really understand and believe this, that because you love us, God, you want what's best for us. And because you're wise, you know what's best for us. And God, because you're powerful, all-powerful, you can do what's best for us. Father, sometimes we pray and, and you quickly answer our prayers and you say yes. Sometimes you say no. Sometimes you say wait. Father, sometimes when we're going through a, a difficult situation, sort of like what Paul described, there's a thorn in the flesh, a physical problem. We, we come to you and we pray. And your answer is, I'm not going to heal you, but I'm going to give you the power to endure, to persevere. Father, I pray that whatever the outcome may be with our prayers, that we would always believe you, always trust you, and always love you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.